CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to a St. Patrick's Day edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. We're going to be uh, joined uh, later on in this episode uh, by Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects, and we're going to talk about the Sabres signing Devin Levi. He'll be reporting to Buffalo and not Rochester. He's going to explain uh, why that is. Uh, what he thinks of Devin Levi's trajectory and plan, especially uh, here in the very near future, the last few weeks of the season, what this means uh, for the uh, Sabres uh, goaltending situation overall. Uh, but first, I want to talk about Bill's free agency. It's uh, one of those great times of year for sports. You have March Madness, NBA, NHL home stretch. Baseball is about to start. That's right around the corner. Uh, NFL free agency, the combine, there's a lot of draft talk. Uh, but the Bills, not the sexiest free agency period, um, but obviously uh, some uh, moves that had to be made. A uh, couple of surprises. Uh, we see Jordan Poyer back with the Bills at not a lot of money, so it works well for the team and fans are excited to have Jordan Poyer back. Isaiah McKenzie was released today after the team signed Deontay Hardy a couple days back and uh, various other moves there that we can get into. Jonah, what stands out or do you have one move when you think about what's happened so far with Bill's free agency uh, that, um, that that is uh, at the forefront? Well, at the risk of being like the, the reporter that just retweets news all the time saying just as I expected uh, but doesn't really uh, you know always put those thoughts out there I mean these were it, it went a lot of the way that I thought it would and, and I think I don't know what exactly who said what on the different preview podcasts that we had but I, I think I think I said that I, that I thought Isaiah McKenzie was probably the best or the highest salary player that the Bills would get rid of as a cap casualty and I don't believe I expressed on this podcast but I had thought to myself and said to others that I thought Jordan Poirier being re-signed was a lot more likely than Tremaine Edmonds, simply because of the size of the contract. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds is a much younger player at, at probably a more important position. And if it was even salaries, you would I would I would that. agree with that, Jonah. I did agree that Poirier would be more likely. However, I thought both were gone. I, yeah, didn't, and think I, kinda... that, I didn't think it was an either or scenario. Uh, I thought that, yeah, it's it's more palatable for the Bills to be able to bring back Jordan Poyer, but I thought Poyer would have a much better market than he did. And he was really done in by one of his great traits. He was a warrior last right. season. He plays hurt. Well, he's a warrior, meaning that means he plays hurt a lot, meaning he gets hurt a lot. And at 32, um, I think that's really what what did him in and why he 
found that uh, the offers just weren't there. Right. And the Bills played it well, not giving him extensions and contracts that would have been a bit more expensive ahead of that contract season and the season in which he incurred. I mean, I think it was four different injuries at four different body parts. I mean, he really had a rough season, a great season, but a rough season health wise. And hopefully he's able to come back and be the player that he was. But that's the type of season that can take, you know, years off your career and and years off your athletic life uh, sometimes with certain players. But because of the position he plays, the age and the money, it seemed like it would be more feasible for the Bills to bring back Jordan Poyer. And aside from Tremaine Edmonds, it seems like the Bills were able to keep this team together as best as they were able to. They making a change at left guard, not, not resigning Roger Saffold, which many expected wouldn't be the case. And I think Connor McGovern's a good signing, and that was their biggest hole to fill. And some fans might see holes at linebacker or wide receiver or running back, but I think this is a team that doesn't really have glaring holes right now that can go into the draft, mostly picking the best player available and maybe fill out some fringe areas for depth on the roster but this is a team that many thought had the best roster in the league last season and they're going to go into this coming season with a similar roster and be another super bowl contending team and they didn't lose too much they lost one important player but you know every team tends to lose guys like that at certain points in their development yeah you had tremaine edmonds uh obviously is a big part of the defense and bills fans i think were tougher on him than they needed to be. Uh, they did trade up, uh, the Bills did, uh, to get Tremaine Edmonds, 16th overall. And he didn't make those game-changing plays, but that isn't what he was meant to be. He wasn't the, you know, Sam Cowart. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Bills middle linebackers. Uh, who's the guy from Penn State? Um, Paul Pesleski. Shane Conlin. Uh, Chris Spielman. I mean, those guys don't exist anymore. That's not how the middle linebacker positions necessarily played. And yeah, there's still some guys in the league, uh, you know, Fred Warner and, you know, some, some really good ones, but Tremaine Edmonds was his main responsibility was in pass coverage. And so you didn't get a ton of sacks or quarterback hits or forced fumbles or fumble recoveries. Um, that, that's just not what the, the Bills defense was geared to do. Uh, he did blitz on occasion with a pretty high success rate, uh, particularly when uh, Von Miller was out of the lineup uh, and Leslie Frazier started sending Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds more often uh, to compensate. Uh, but really what I think uh, the Bills will do to make up for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds is, is uh, lean on the concept that their secondary is going to be a lot stronger this year. They also re-signed Dane Jackson today. Tremaine Edmonds is going to come back fully healthy from the start of the uh, season. You don't have to worry about him easing back from his reconstructed knee. And Micah Hyde is supposed to be back. So you have Hyde and Poyer back side by side uh, after so many downs last year in which Tremaine Edmonds had neither behind him. Now, Again, Jordan Poyer played through a lot, but he also missed time uh, to the point that, um, you know, Damar Hamlin and Ham Lewis and Jaquan Johnson and Dean Marlowe, and there were all kinds of safeties back there. Uh, And so I think that the secondary will be stronger just by virtue of guys being healthy. It's almost like getting some free agent help back that you didn't have last year on a defense that was still very good. 
Um, so I think that the bills, uh, and, and this is, these are the tricks I think that you play or the justifications, rationalizations that you go through when you're good. Uh, when you're talking about our, our, our free agent acquisition for next year, our big one is going to be Micah Hyde. Uh, technically he was on the roster, but he only played two games and now he's back. Um, so th those are the things that, uh, that a front office, a coaching staff, teammates, guys in the locker room lean on in terms of that, of ways of getting better. They don't view it necessarily as being stagnant, uh, because they played a lot of games without very important players last year who, uh, will be back in 2023. Yeah. And I think. I don't know how much the Bills planned for this and saw it coming, but in some ways they, they probably, Brandon Bean probably recognized this as a potential path. But the way it played out is really they gave Matt Milano a big contract when he came up into free agency a couple of years back. And they've since extended that contract and paid him even more after an all-pro season. In many ways, he passed Tremaine Edmonds as being the better of the two young prospect linebackers that when they were earlier in their career, that maybe wasn't considered the case. And you just can't pay everybody, and you especially can't pay top of the market salaries to two guys playing the same position or same position group. And you can throw Von Miller in that in a way, even though he's a defensive end. He's actually technically listed as a linebacker because of his jersey number. But the pass rush and the, how often he stands up off the ground, he's a bit in that linebacker grouping. And if you're paying Von Miller one of the biggest contracts as an edge rusher, and you're paying Matt Milano one of the bigger contracts as an outside linebacker, you just can't afford to have one of the highest paid middle linebackers. You have to make these choices and the bills are going to be in more positions to have to make some of those tough choices or let guys go that they want to bring back, but can't afford things will change with extensions and restructurings. But as of right now, they're over next season salary cap or projected to be over next season salary cap by a significant number with only about 30 to 35 different players signed. All of these moves that they made to clear cap room, Josh Allen's restructure, Von Miller's restructure. That was a good job to keep most of this roster together and make a few moves, but you just push those cap hits into the future. And the cap goes up, but not necessarily at the same rate. Salaries, minimum salaries, average salaries are also going to go up. There's going to be more and more of the Bills just not being able to pay high salaries to keep their own players or acquire new free agent players. And as they enter this new phase with Josh Allen's mega extension and other higher paid players on the roster and being one of the best teams in the league, but paying your players on their second and third contracts, they have to do more to get more out of their rookies and their cheap players and their bargain free agents because they just can't go into free agency and sign the type of players that they were able to do in years past. And they can't count on re-signing every single one of their good players now because of the way the salary cap works right and you also had the digs restructure and uh cutting of isaiah mckenzie saves a little bit but i reached out to a bill source uh when the josh allen and von miller restructures were done saving just a little under 32 million dollars with the cap and it was stressed to me that yes that's a lot of money that we needed to clear uh, and keep in mind, we still barely have enough money to re-sign our draft picks or, or to assign our draft picks and re-sign like basic dudes. They'd also lost uh, Case Keenum as their backup quarterback. So they had another hole to fill. So 
all these restructurings look like a lot of money, but the bills are are operating very close, very close to the cap already. And uh, I think that they've been pretty artful with it. Um, you know, it looked as though uh, that was going to be the case last year, too. And Brandon Bean found a way to bring in Von Miller. So I think that he uh, is viewed by many fans as a magician of some kind. And there is a belief out there that, uh, you know, the salary cap is fictional, uh, that it's just, a you know, some sort of construct. Uh, but um, I think the Los Angeles Rams uh, are the uh, keep proving to everyone that the salary cap is very real. But anyway, uh, I'm digressing. Um, they're, they're operating very close to the cap, and they seem to be, with the exception of Tremaine Edmonds, like you said, Jonah, have kept the team pretty a Super Bowl contender pretty much intact. Um, and with the case of Hardy over McKenzie, um, it's people who I who who know way more than I do uh, really like this uh, swap out. They think that that's an upgrade uh, if Hardy can stay healthy um, because of McKenzie's problem with drops and focus and he's a bit of a flake. And uh, if you can produce uh, between the lines, uh, Sean McDermott has uh, plenty of latitude for you to be flaky, uh, for you to go play in the match uh, with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes rather than attend uh, voluntary uh, workouts. Uh, if uh, Deion Dawkins wants to be a goofball away from one Bill's drive but makes his blocks on Sunday afternoon, fine. But if you're Isaiah McKenzie, and being colorful and quirky and, you know, saying things he probably shouldn't and being a little loose lipped and, and then makes drops, drops 8% of his passes, uh, then Sean McDermott's got no room for you. And uh, colorful, you got to be good if you're going to be colorful, especially on Sean McDermott's team. Um. Your thoughts on the running back, Jonah? That is a position that still seems to be out there. Uh, do the Bills keep drafting running backs? Uh, we know that uh, Naheem Hines is back with a restructured deal also. James Cook, Devin Singletary is lingering out there as a free agent. Uh, and we've heard all these flirtations about Jamal Williams and kicking the tires on this and that. Uh, we talked about it on a podcast a couple of uh, episodes ago, Derrick Henry was the betting favorite uh, to land with the Bills over any other team uh, in the in the league. Um, I don't know, running back. I think from a number standpoint, they're going to add a running back, whether it's in free agency or through the draft. As far as the immediate need to get a starting running back or a high-paid running back or the best running back that you can possibly get, I don't really see that happening. I think the Bills invested a somewhat high draft pick in James Cook, and he had a promising rookie season and is the brother of a outstanding NFL running back. And I think you want to give him some opportunity to prove that he could be the number one running back. And just based on his speed and ability, just put the ball in his hands a little bit more and see how far he can take it. Naeem Hines is a player they traded a running back that they drafted high, Zach Moss, for. I think they envision him as being a third down back and, and obviously also a kick returner. And you saw his speed and potential there in the, in the final home game of the regular season. Um, but they probably could use one more body, maybe a bigger body for some short yardage situations. And while I don't really believe that the Bills 
themselves believe in investing a first round pick in a running back, um, depending on the player who might be available and the lack of needs elsewhere on the roster, it could be a potential pick. Uh, it isn't really what I would, if I were doing a mock draft, I really wouldn't expect that to be the pick, but the, They've drafted and built this roster well enough over the years that maybe they can make a bit of a luxury pick if they really think this is a guy that helps them out. And even though a first-round pick is considered not great value for a running back, the rookie contract on that running back is good value. So that's – I don't – they're not going to trade for Derrick Henry. They're not going to trade for Delvin Cook like some of those rumors are. They're not going to have a $10, $12, 15000000 million running back into this roster right now. But a really good running back on a rookie contract could make some sense. Yeah, how great would Austin Eckler uh, look in the Bills' offense? Uh, he would be a finishing piece uh, to the Bills uh, and what, what Josh Allen can do uh, and what uh, uh, what plays Ken Dorsey could call. However, he wants out of Los Angeles because he feels he's underpaid. He wants to find a new team that's going to pay him well. He wants a new contract. Teams aren't paying running backs. Number one, they're not paying running backs period, in terms of money, to actually give up draft capital on top of having to pay Austin Eckler whatever is going to take to keep him happy, teams just aren't going to do that. That's why my main my prediction, unless things really change, uh, would be that Austin Eckler remains with the Chargers because the market, much like Jordan Poyer, is not going to be there. Teams just aren't paying running backs. And, um, and I know I'm, I'm going to be redundant when I say it, but to pay them plus sacrifice draft assets teams just aren't going to have the the appetite for that uh the bills uh, have uh just restructured naheem hines they traded uh assets to get him last year they used a second round pick on cook as you mentioned so i don't see that as uh as a as as plausible but I sh- of all the moves out there to make, I'm way more than Jamal Williams or maybe even Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Bill's offense would be pretty damn snazzy. Uh, yeah. Any other- oh, go well, ahead. Well, just on that, I mean, the Bills are a team that over the last few seasons, and I think this isn't going to change, that is a pass-heavy offense and that they're maybe at their best with a lot of design runs for Josh Allen and Josh Allen scrambling on called pass plays as well and, and his short yardage abilities. So if you're going to sign a high-paid running back or you're going to invest a lot of salary cap dollars in the running back position or like last year when there was some talk about trading for Christian McCaffrey, you have to change the offense a bit. You can't bring in that type of player on that type of salary and then only give them eight carries and have you know, people wondering and, and asking why you're not running the ball more. You're, you're changing the makeup of the team a little bit, I think, if you get a big salary running back. And also, if you sign a bona fide starting running back that, that's on the field for three downs, uh, you're you're not utilizing James Cook, and you're not getting what you need to get out of that position. So I do think the Bills might need a running back, but the big name running back doesn't really fit the roster and the salary structure and things like that right now. And a lot of fans look at it like you're playing fantasy football or building a franchise on Madden, and you're just acquiring talent. And same with some of the stuff about the savers at the trade deadline. But you need the right pieces that fit in the right salaries. You can't have guys making more money than other guys that are more important to your long-term or the culture of the locker room. That messes things up. 
So it's not – there's been this big push to give Josh Allen more weapons. But the way this roster is right now and the salaries, they, they really can't do that. They have to rely on Josh Allen's ability to make the current weapons as good as they can be or get players in the draft that are cheaper contracts but become those weapons. And the idea of going shopping for Odell Beckham Jr. or Christian McCaffrey just doesn't fit right now. A few years ago they could have made those moves, and they did with – player like Stefan Diggs, but now it's win with the guys you got and the guys you can bring in with the draft. Um, I, I was I was tempted to ask you, Jonah, uh, or just to broach the subject for our discussion about the AFC East with Aaron Rodgers in it and with the Dolphins and the moves that they've made uh, to load up a little bit. Uh, I like what the Dolphins have done. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers in the division, I think we're looking at the New England Patriots as the fourth best team in the division with the worst quarterback situation. Um, however, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, such as he is, uh, cost the Jets quite a bit of leverage by coming out and declaring that he wants to play for the Jets. He's pretty much done with the Packers and the Packers are in no rush. They have their quarterback and getting rid of, uh, getting rid of Aaron Rodgers doesn't necessarily save them any money on the salary cap. So they can pretty much do whatever they want. Um, so I'm going to wait until that move happens because uh, is I like Aaron Rodgers in the NFL because I recognize that he's a heel. I don't like him. Uh, I mean, I want to see him, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I want him around for the aspect of somebody to root against. Uh, I am not of the mind that he's got to go. I'm tired of him. Much I was the same way with Brett Favre. Like, keep these guys around. They are interesting. Uh, and having Aaron Rodgers in the AFC East makes the, the division that much more compelling. Um, but partially, I want to see this whole thing just blow up on the Jets and Aaron Rodgers and have the Packers maybe call a bluff or whatever and say, go ahead and retire. We're, we don't care. Or, you know, or, we're cut, or just cut him. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know what I want to see, but I, I, let's wait until that trade is finalized uh, before we, I guess, get into how the division looks, because I think it's no sure thing when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers uh, and th that this deal is going to happen no matter what, even if both sides want it really badly. He's he's such a a weirdo that. Uh, you know, he's whether he's flirting with Jeopardy or ayahuasca or whatever. Uh, he's uh, such a wild card that we don't know what's going to happen. Well, and because I think he does end up in the Jets eventually. But it, it goes back to that point I just made. Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Zach Wilson or Mike White or anybody the Jets played last year and probably makes them better. But with his salary and his personality and his ego and the way he putting Aaron Rodgers in that locker room could make the Jets worse, or it could complicate something the Jets have been building with a lot of good players, a lot of positions and a good coach, but having someone like Aaron Rodgers might not boost the Jets into division title contenders in the way it would if you were just putting them on your team on John Madden football video games. So we'll see how that goes. I, I'm looking forward to Aaron Rodgers being on the Jets in the weeks the Bills play them and some of the storylines and things that might happen there. But you also look at, I mean, Aaron Rodgers came here with the Green Bay Packers last year and didn't give the Bills too much trouble either. So Aaron Rodgers, I hope he finds happiness somewhere in the NFL. I don't know how much that should make a difference to Bills fans either way. Well, I mean, 
there are so many parallels uh, with Brett Favre's departure from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets. And of course, Brett Favre was going to make the Jets better, right? Because their quarterback situation was Chad Pennington and Kellen Clemens. Uh, and Brett Favre went to the Jets and they did not make the playoffs. So just because a future Hall of Famer is, is joining your team, and of course they're different quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is very, uh, way more accurate, not as reckless as Brett Favre. Uh, does not throw silly interceptions like Brett Favre. Um, but again, no guarantees that just because you're adding a quarterback component that was missing and the guy happens to be a future Hall of Famer uh, makes the Jets, um, you know, a surefire thing for the playoffs. I do think it closes the gap or makes it that much tighter for the Bills. Uh, the Bills will not be. Uh, the team of all the eight divisions that has the highest um, or the or the the lowest betting odds uh, to win their to win its division. Um, that's been the runaway favorite for the last two years uh, of all the the futures bets in the NFL would be the Bills to win the AFC East, and I don't know if that's going to be the case because. The Dolphins are on the rise, and the Jets are going to have probably uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and that's just going to generate a lot of bets. You know, people are going to be betting on that, and I think it's just going to close that gap. The Bills will probably still be favored, but just not by as much. I think that's okay, and this is not really based in data or the actual hard facts, but more of just a feeling and almost kind of a metaphysical type thing. But I think the Bills had too much going in their favor from that perception standpoint, going into last season and early in last season and being the runaway favorites in the division. And remember they lost some division games early on and, you know, just plan to be the Super Bowl representative and even the Super Bowl champion before games were even kicked off. And I just feel like it's going to be one. I think it could just help the team in terms of having more reasonable expectations. And I think it really helps the fan base and the feeling around the team if they're not so much expected to be the best team in the NFL and that when they are when they do win and they are among the Super Bowl contenders that that feels a little bit more of like found money instead right. of money that you already you know spent before you had which was really I think the case the Bills season changed dramatically as the season went on especially with DeMar Hamlin and some of the other injuries and the Von Miller injury but before that I think it was way too much assuming the ascension of a team that didn't reach that level yet I, I would agree with that, and I've said it on this podcast before. I've written about it, uh, so I'll say it again uh, because it fits right here, is that I think there was a belief, Bills fans, yes, I think maybe even some in the building over at One Bills Drive, that after nearly 20 years of getting kicked in the teeth by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, um, that Brady's departure from the AFC and Josh Allen's ascension and Sean McDermott's culture and Brandon Bean's uh, transactions uh, that just they were building something to the point where it's owed. You know, the Bills deserve a championship. The Bills deserve it. It is our time now. And it is not just deserved, as William Money said in Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. Um, you still got to earn it and the bills haven't been able to do that yet. But I think that you're right. That that's where that 
that assumption of it is our time now because that's just how it works. It's our time on the carousel. We we've done our penance. Uh, we've worn our our hair suit and our hair shirt, and uh, it is time for us to now get our reward. Uh, we've done our time. Give us that Lombardi. So, um, UB basketball. I want to talk about that before we get to Chris Baker uh, to talk about uh, the Sabers and Devin Levi. Jonah, what are your thoughts on this vacancy? Uh, we talked about it a little bit with Mike McDonald uh, on Monday when we got into the uh, NCAA brackets and all that stuff. But what do you think is reasonable for what folks should expect for Jim Weitzel's replacement? Uh, what UB's looking for, the type of candidate they can attract, who they can get? Well, I view it, the coaching change, first of all, the decision to move on from Jim Weitzel. I think I view it a bit more, a bit less in the perspective of Jim Weitzel and, and what he did in his four years as a coach in this past season. He had a winning record over the course of four years and 21 seasons or equivalent of 21 seasons for the first three years. And then they had a losing season this past year and a lot of blowout losses to the top teams in the MAC. But what I think happened, and the reason there is a coaching change right now or coaching vacancy right now is more the development of Mark Allnut as the athletic director and that he had come in and he was pretty new on the job when Nate Oates left and there was a coaching search for the men's basketball coach and there were interviews and there was a search process and ultimately he landed on the interim coach that wasn't really a locked in place interim coach when they made him that. It was kind of thought that they would make a new hire and they didn't. And Marco, I heard different things about whether certain candidates turned the job down or they were unable to come to salary terms with candidates that they wanted or didn't get the, didn't attract the candidates that they wanted. And ultimately he decided coming off of a 32 win season that Jim Weitzel's coaching was prominently involved in as an assistant to keep the ball rolling. And Jim Weitzel did a good job with retention, keeping all the players, Nobody transferred out when Nate Oates left. They did lose recruits, but they replaced it with a pretty solid recruiting class and some good transfers, and that carried over into the following year. But what happened this past year with a lot of transfers leaving and the transfers that were brought in, some of them were good players and filled different roles on the team, but the overall product and the chemistry and the team itself was not as good as it had been. And I think there were doubts about how well Jim Weitzel and his staff would continue to recruit and continue to build the roster in this era with so many transfers and, and trying to retain your own talent and NIL and things like that. In the meantime, uh, Mark Allnut hired Maurice Linguist to be the coach after Lance Leipold left, hired Becky Burke to be the women's coach after Felicia Leggett-Jack left. I think Mark Allnut learned some things about coaching searches and using search firms and the candidates that would be available for a job like this and how to negotiate with them and find the person he wants. And in a way was looking forward to having a do-over on that men's basketball hire and finding a candidate that maybe he likes better than Jim Weitzel, but also just being able to go out there and find a candidate instead of just turning to the interim coach that was already there. And so I think that the new basketball coach, I don't think many of the names that have been bandied about or names that fans want like Brian Hodgson, Nate Oates assistant down at Alabama that's from Jamestown and worked at UB. I don't anticipate it being some of the more obvious or go-to names that have been listed around. Uh, because of the way I think the search is going to go. I think it's going to be a national search and I don't think the local ties 
mean that much to Mark Allnut and some of the people making these decisions. And um, from what I understand, Jonah, I'm hearing that the boosters really want Brian Hodgson, or at least some some vocal boosters anyway. Some vocal boosters and some prominent boosters. And I think there's one booster in particular, the Tooney Murchie, who's donated a lot of money to that program. And they built facilities with his name on it. And he's really the main donor. And in some ways, as far as a big donor, the only big donor. If he were really pushing for Brian Hodgson to be the coach and he was willing to pay Jim Weitzel's four to $500,000 buyout and he was willing to uh, pay whatever it takes to get the coach he wants, I think that could influence the hire. From what I've heard, that's not what is happening right now. And, and from what I've heard, um, there's a lot of donor interest in Brian Hodgson and I believe Brian Hodgson himself would be very interested in this job with his local ties and the success he had here and trying to bring that back and reconnect this team with the Oats Hurley era and the success that they had, the alumni team that Brian Hodgson is the general manager of and in some ways coaches that team as well. But I just don't think the, I think the relationship was strained between UB and Brian Hodgson when he left with NATO Trey Alabama and didn't get the job that time around. And I just, it also doesn't look, it isn't the hire that, that, Mark Allnut can really put on his resume if he just turns back in time to the assistant that many people think he should have hired four years ago. Uh, even though that could be the right coach for the job, it looks like a weak move for the AD. So I think he's going to go to the search committee and he's going to find the men's basketball version of Maurice Linguis and Becky Burke. I think it could very well be not a name we see coming, but a name that's familiar. Someone that played either professional basketball or was a high uh, a prominent college player, someone that not as big of a name as Bobby Hurley, but in the mold of Bobby Hurley when that hire was made, something that's like, wow, I've heard of him or Greg Paulus. I don't really think it's going to be Greg Paulus getting hired away from Niagara, but someone like Greg Paulus that, that was a name player. And when the average person, you know, turns on the, the channel Four news or picks up the newspaper and they say, wow, did you see who you be got? I've heard of that guy. Now there's limits. I, I think the job's only. Let me let me ask you this: when regarding somebody you can attract, um, has this synopsis of not making the NCAA tournament? Uh, how how much has that will that affect that candidates would look at this program as a place where you can go to the NCAA tournament on the regular basis? Clearly, it it can be done because Bobby Hurley and Nate Oates did it. Uh, but the fact that there's been a, a break. The, there would be a difference between replacing Nate Oates and the interest that that job would generate versus replacing Jim Weitzel after a few years of not making the tournament, right? Yeah, I think that Nate Oates and Bobby Hurley before him showed that you can be a regular MAC champion and NCAA tournament team if you recruit well enough and that the potential's there and that this isn't a league where there's a a Gonzaga type team at the top of the Mac because it's a one bid league. So if there was another team that's dominating the Mac and winning it every year and Buffalo is a lower budget team within the Mac, that's a job that maybe a coach might want to avoid because it would be very hard to get to the NCAA tournament. But it's been established that Buffalo in football and basketball, that if you recruit well enough and coach well enough that you can win that league and you can be the team that goes to the NCAA tournament or wins the Mac championship in football, um, but it's not – Buffalo also isn't the the big budget top of the league team. Even when they were winning with Nate Oates, 
he was he wasn't the highest paid coach in the league for part of his time here and then they had to get him up to that at the end so it's a little bit in the middle and from what i understand it's probably a job that's going to pay somewhere around five to six hundred thousand dollars per year which is a nice salary i mean i'd take it if they want to offer it to me but um that's not the highest of the high end even for a mid-major coach so there might be some names that make sense or that ub and ub fans might want but the salary might not be high enough there's also a first-time coach coming from an assistant job it depends where they're coming from there's assistants that make close to that right now so it might be hard to pay for um the best assistant that you can find but there is a sweet spot it's how they've gotten coaches in the past it's how max schools get other coaches uh, so I, I think they're going to find the right coach that they want but not everybody that a fan might look at as a potential candidate makes a lot of sense on paper right yeah I didn't know if maybe the quality of candidate would dip a little bit because you're not coming right off of a hot NCAA tournament streak you know the fact that it's it's waned a bit maybe it's a little bit of a, a bigger lift maybe but I think what happened from what I've heard of my understanding of the coaching search when Nate Oates left was that there were a lot of names thinking wow I love that job. Look what Nate Oates did there. Locals that, that were prominent assistants elsewhere. And when they looked into it, they found that it maybe wasn't paying as much as they wanted. Or the It's not just salary, too. It's resources in the program, what you can pay your assistants, how many staff members you can bring in. Because now college staffs are tremendously bloated. They, they, it's the three assistants, but it's all sorts of support staff members and the recruiting budget and the travel budget. And I think that maybe, and it would be wise if UB's putting a little more money into that part of the program to attract a good coach, but they're probably going to find that certain candidates that they might want or might be interested in this job, they don't see eye to eye on the finances and the investment in the program. And it's like anything with UB athletics until the state, New York state really decides that we're going to put big money into this program. And they might never decide that um, you're still going to be a Mac level certain middle of the Mac type budget, maybe top third of the Mac, but you're never going to be, Buffalo's never going to be the team that's paying much, much more than the rest of the Mac and dominating the league and being a Gonzaga of the East until New York State puts millions and millions of dollars into the program. And that has to start with football, really, to get it to that level in basketball. And I just don't see that happening, you know, in the immediate future. How much do you think it helps um, when it comes to drawing a candidate when you see the success that Oates and Hurley have had since leaving UB? And I know that that might be an ancillary thing, but you can see that not only you come to UB, you can, I guess that should be part of UB's pitch, right? Is you come here and all opportunities are open for you. You can, you can go through UB on your way to becoming an NCAA champion or the number one team in the country or whatever, or is that, would that be a bad pitch? I don't know. The fact well, that, I, uh, you look, know, look. you're going to have to leave to really pursue your dreams eventually. I mean, you could also put Lance Leipold and Felicia Leggett Jack into that. And even the athletic yeah. directors, Danny White and Alan Green and Ward Manuel and, and where they were able to go from this UB job that the Mac itself and UB being part of that, is a step it's a far lead. cry from the days of bob arkel Payne and craig service right and that's when ub was at the bottom of the league both from perception and budget wise and had a lot harder time attracting the young up-and-comers that aren't going to be here forever like becky burke is probably not going to be the buffalo women's basketball coach forever if she has success but 
the university leadership and the different athletic directors that they've had have kind of accepted that long ago, that this is a stepping stone league and a stepping stone job. And Turner Gill, you can put into that category as well. And that UB's had its best success with guys that were here, uh, men and women, that were here with an eye on the next job. And that some of the coaches in smaller sports and the bigger sports that maybe looked at UB as a destination job didn't quite do as well. Fans and media and even myself, I mean, I think we'd like to see somebody with local ties that might come to UB, win at UB, and want to stay at UB long term. But with the current leadership, you know, Mark Allnut's not from Buffalo. He came here from working at Memphis and played football at Missouri. He's hoping that someday he moves on to a better job. So when the person making the hire is of that mindset, I don't think you're going to hire somebody that has kind of the opposite viewpoint of, of staying here and winning here. And to answer your initial question, I do think absolutely. I think maybe more the success they had while they're at Buffalo uh, probably because they don't get to that next step unless they've had success at, at Buffalo. But then to, yeah. but it, it shows that you're, it's not a Peter principle type thing where you just stumble into the next job. You think you can get vaulted uh, towards big things. If you come through UB, I guess that should sure. be the sales sure. pitch, right? Mm-hmm. To get the best possible candidate. Uh, and what fans should probably get used to. Although I think Jim Weitzel, Maybe he would have been the type of guy to stick around. Um, Well, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, Jim Weitzel maybe was the type of guy to stick around, just like Reggie Reggie Witherspoon Witherspoon at one point was like that. And, uh, you know, Mike McDonald, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he got fired from Canisius for not winning the Mac enough. And they haven't won the Mac with any of the other coaches they replaced them with. But there's different perceptions of what is a good job for a coach. And, Sometimes the coach that is a good, steady coach that wants to, you know, settle into the job and make it a long-term fit isn't necessarily the up-and-comer and the cutthroat-type competitor that certain ADs and certain search committees are looking for uh, at certain points in a university's story. And, you know, the interesting thing, I think, is what are the expectations now at UB? Because this was the first losing season in 10 years and the first losing season that Jim Weitzel had in his four years. And is that the new standard that win every year? And if you're not winning the MAC, that's unacceptable. And we're going to move on and hire a coach because I don't know how realistic that is in a league like the MAC and with the budget that they have. But that because of the success that so many of these programs have had in multiple sports, that maybe is the standard, at least for now. Well, let's, that's a good discussion there. Um, and I think that there's a lot, so much nuance to the UB basketball program and, um, you know, what I'm going to actually, I don't know why, but I just had a brain cramp. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll take this out in editing, but maybe I won't. Maybe we'll just leave it in here. <laughs> um, I'll pause for a little bit, and then uh, we'll just ease into a CTBK uh, ad. And then uh, have Chris Baker on to talk about Devin Levi signing with the Buffalo Sabres today. Jonah, is there anything else you want to add? No, and I mean... Whatever I say, you might just edit it out anyway. So this might, point? this might, this might get just uh, snipped, but uh, I think I'll just leave it because it's easier that way. 
I want to make one quick just note just to kind of acknowledge some teams. Uh, Niagara women making the women's NIT, and even though they lost by a big number against Green Bay, that was the first postseason appearance ever for the program. And they're going to have their key players back, the Parker sisters and the O'Hara girls. So this could be another next season could be another strong season for the Niagara women's basketball team. And because we're talking to uh, Chris Baker coming up about Devin Levi coming out of Northeastern. I think it's acknowledged Northeastern women's hockey team is in the frozen four. They're playing right now as we're recording this. They have three local players on their roster. Three local players on their roster. And, you know, if you like rooting for locals, doing big things in college hockey, check out the frozen four this weekend. All right. Thanks, Jonah. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400. 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome back to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. We're joined now by Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects on Twitter. That's where you should be following him if you aren't already. And with the news today that the Sabres have signed Devin Levi, and according to reports, including by the Athletics' Matthew Fairburn, Devin Levi will be reporting to Buffalo, not Rochester. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, let's just... Uh, Maybe we'll get into that decision in a little bit. Uh, I guess, Chris, just your thoughts on them getting the deal done uh, with time left in the season. Uh, there's going to be uh, no drama. Uh, Northeastern season ended over the weekend. And now here this is, nice and tidy. Devin Levi uh, with the organization signed for his three-year entry-level contract. Yep. Year one, contract begins immediately. So 2022-23 season is the first year of the contract. It's kind of agent leverage to get that meter running now. Um, those are some of the concessions that you have to make to kind of get the player in the system. It's no different than Owen Power when he came in, Casey Middlestad, even Sean Malone, when they signed their contracts, their meter started running immediately. So this would make Devin Levi get to his second contract a year sooner. You know, because you have seen in the past other prospects when they get into the organization, they'll sign a contract that'll start the next year and then they'll report to Rochester on an amateur tryout. That's not going to be the case here to kind of just clear up that. Um, but no, I mean, Levi is a, um, you know, you can look at his numbers and you can, you know, make judgment on the goaltender by his numbers, but really, you know, it's more about how they play the position and he's um, not the biggest guy, but he makes himself big in net. I think Sabres fans are really going to be impressed with this kid, the way that he just thinks the game he has, you know, it's high goaltender IQ. He understands the geometry of the position. He's very quick. Um, there's just a lot to like when uh, – I'm really curious to see what the majority of fans, who I think many fans probably haven't really seen him play, 
maybe just casually watched highlights or whatever, even if that, um, to really get a glimpse of this kid. Because he, he is truly a special prospect with how his approach to the position, how he thinks the position, how he executes in the crease. This may be dangerous, uh, but I know that you've been asked this question before in different venues, whether it be on the record or over beers. But because there are similarities, at least to their, uh, their come up, their glow up story uh, through college, how does... Devin Levi compared to Ryan Miller as Ryan Miller was leaving Michigan State in terms of readiness, um, or however you want to make the comparison. Because yeah, that I, is a comp that is a that's a known quantity among Sabres fans. Yeah. Devin Levi, even though they know the name and they know the stats, and maybe they were able to see a game on a regional sports network, really don't know much about Devin Levi, all things considered. Yeah, I think with the exception of, well, there's a lot of parallels, first of all, right? Later round draft picks, they had what you might consider a, a non-traditional path to Division One. You know, Ryan Miller played in the North American Hockey League. Um, Devin Levi played, you know, extensively in, you know, Canadian Junior Leagues that weren't the big premier leagues before committing to a D1 program. Um, their resumes are similarly decorated. Levi doesn't have the Hobie. That Miller had, but I think in terms of all the accolades and winning, you know, conference players of the year and best goaltending awards and things like that, very similar parallels there in terms of resume. Um, similar approaches to the game, you know, Ryan was very cerebral, very much a thinker, and that's kind of how Devin Levi is. Devin Levi is a computer science major at Northeastern. He's very serious about his his studies. Um, how they prepare for their sport off the ice. Devin Levi is, um, you know, we talk about like quarterbacks in the NFL. You want that guy that's maybe his best attribute is above the neck. That's kind of how Levi is. Like when he was injured a couple of years ago coming out, I think he had a cracked rib coming back from the World Juniors two seasons ago. He spent a lot of his time improving his tracking, puck tracking ability by doing virtual reality. Those are types of things that I bet if virtual reality existed, in the early 2000s, when Miller was a similar age, he probably would have done. Um, but there, you know, so I think there's parallels there. And and frankly, you know, Miller presents himself as a much larger goaltender in size. But I think that they would, um, you know, Miller's best nights is when it, he made it look very effortless, like it was almost like he was asleep because he made it look so easy. Levi kind of can do a little bit of that too. There's not a lot of the flamboyant, you know acrobatic saves because he doesn't need to make them um so I, I don't know if i'm answering your question the best way but i see a lot of parallels there and, and i and it's what you don't want to do though is say okay this guy is saying that they're going to have similar careers that devin levi is going to be a savers hall of famer he's going to win an right. olympic mp right but it's like i can see um a lot of reason to believe that there's a similar trajectory that could lead to similar results in the in the nhl like the Sabres have pursued or at least had in their system or at least in the pipeline, I guess, maybe not under contract, uh, college goaltenders before. And a lot of times they just choose to go somewhere else. They don't sign. Uh, and so to me that uh, Ryan Miller is just that marker of coming up through, um, yeah, a as you said, you know, the college system, mid-round draft pick, maybe uh, uh, still a, a bit of a, a uh, an unknown, a lot of, you know, uh, raw talent type thing who molded himself into one of the finest college, the finest college goaltender, perhaps. 
uh, upon arriving with the Buffalo Sabres. They haven't really had that. They've had European goalies and all these other things, uh, free agents, but to have a guy showing up like this, you have to go back to Miller, right? Unless I'm missing somebody. No, pretty much. I mean, Cal Peterson was a fifth rounder in 2013. That would have been maybe that next one to kind of take that path. And he just decided, and like, you can't blame Cal Peterson for not wanting to kind of come into the situation here that Buffalo was in when he was ready to make that jump out of Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think this is kind of the next one. I mean, they're, they, you know, they've drafted collegiate goaltenders and whether it was like Connor Knapp who went to Miami university or Nick Eno who played at Bowling Green, they've had guys that played in college, but they weren't, and they were drafted in similar positions, by the way. But um, no, in terms of like the real prospect um, that had legitimate chance to ascend to, you know, do good things professionally, Levi's been that really, right. I, I'd have to go back through the, you know, since Miller, if you think about it, yeah, I think you're right. Cause Tim Murray was all about, Hey, he was on record as saying, give me the biggest European, you know, and that, you know, he went out and burned a first round pick on Leonard, who was, you know, he was, he was serviceable. And, UPL was drafted here and so on, but you're right. I think they've spent a lot of currency, draft currency, even going back to Jonas Enroth on European goaltenders. Mm. Where do you think the Sabres are at with UPL? Does he have an opportunity to potentially still be the starter, block Devin Levi, or is this maybe not going in that direction for him? I, I think that, you know, UPL, this was kind of that transition year where he's still kind of figuring out that um, mental consistency that it takes to be good every night. Um, I, I think they, I think they understand that they have a serviceable NHL goaltender in UPL. I don't, I don't think that there's an indication that the Sabres believe that they have like a top 10 or 15 number one NHL goaltender in UPL. So I think they're eager to get, um, you know, continue developing UPL and and make sure that he, you know, he's still going to be around. Um, he has an NHL future. I think they're eager to get Levi in here and get him to start accruing um, minutes, professional minutes to kind of really understand what they're going to have with him moving forward um, and kind of create competition in the crease. I mean, I always go back, we were talking about Miller, like Miller's best games when he was in, in the NHL were like when, when Enroth was coming off a really good start, you know, because there was competition there. Miller's worst games are when he had no one pushing him. Patrick Aleem and, you know, these other guys. Like, Aleem was basically his caddy, you know. Um, Enroth wasn't like that. Enroth was, like, competing with him. I think they want to get to that point with UPL, get another young guy pushing him. Maybe that brings out better performances in UPL. But um, I, I don't think that they have, like, these delusions of thinking that UPL is somehow going to miraculously be, like, a, a Vezina candidate at some point. You know what I mean? But I think they understand that he can be very serviceable. He's winning games right now, and he's still very young in his NHL trajectory. Uh, I, I think for him, it's about, you know, just getting that consistency down. And, um, you know, they're, they're different goaltenders though. Like when you're going to see a stark contrast in how they approach the position between a UPL and a Levi, when they get in here, Levi to me, just the movement, the reflexes, the quickness is just different approach. UPL is a little more stylistically a little different. He relies more on his size. I still think he's a little tight in his hips with how he moves. He doesn't always move like a bone, like a Carey Price or like some of these other guys that were just smooth and cerebral. You know, he's more still getting the job done more through hard work. What do we make of uh, the Sabres having Levi report to Buffalo and not Rochester? Yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's kind of how you thought it would go. So I think that, you know, the agent had leverage, you know, and that, you know, they want to get to that second contract. Um, 
I, I think Levi understands what's best for him professionally, just kind of seeing his path, path and it's just a guess. I mean, Rochester is a very real possibility for him next year, but this is just kind of that whole rite of passage for getting the collegiate prospect in here late in the season where he's not going to be eligible for the AHL playoffs anyways. What I don't fully understand in full disclosure, if there's like a CBA bylaw that prevents him from going to Rochester, I believe that there is based on the data signing, but I don't have that confirmed. I have to go back and dig into that document. But I mean, this is kind of par for the course when you sign a collegiate player after their, their NCAA season is done. They sign a contract. If the meter starts running, they get stashed up in Buffalo. They don't go to the AHL. That's just kind of the same here with Levi. How much should we expect that maybe Devin Levi will start a game for the Sabres over the next few weeks? I think they're going to be curious to maybe toss him in there. I mean, they have, you know, what do they have, like 16 goalies on the roster right now? I mean, um, so, yeah, I mean, 17 with Levi. Yeah, so 17 Com- with Levi. Comrie's right? hurt. Comrie's injured. Com- oh, oh, we're down. All right, okay. 16 then. 16. Well, that increases the probability. <laughs> I mean, but I, I think, you know, like right now, though, you're in a playoff hunt. Like I was expecting them to just kind of throw Anderson more games. This really isn't the time to understand what your new your new toy can do. Let's get them some practice time, see how it looks in practice and make a decision that. I don't think I don't think that decision's been made yet if they're gonna play him, but I mean it's possible. I mean, he's here. If they fall out of playoffs, like officially, then yeah, you're probably gonna throw him a game. Well, I appreciate you answering the bake signal. Uh, there was uh, some news today, and whenever it's about goalie prospects, we need to hear from Chris Baker. So thanks for finding a little time to wedge this into your afternoon. You got your green on, so I know that you're feeling festive. Uh, I'm glad we got you uh, before you uh, left for the bars. You you know me well. Your timing was Parades or whatever the hell you got up your sleeve, your green. Not a parade guy. I I think parades are stupid. I'm not a parade guy. Same. Yeah, F parades. Same. All right, Chris Baker, thank you. I'm sure we'll see you in our travels. Uh, I think we'll cross paths perhaps within the next couple hours. I hope so. I believe you're, I believe you're going to be uh, seeing me soon. All right. And hopefully Jonah as well. That's Chris Baker at Sabres prospects on Twitter. Follow him there for all the latest bits, details, nuggets on all of the people that are in the Sabres uh, pipeline. Uh, And thanks to everyone out there for listening to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. CPAs and business consultants.